0: This is Frameform. Well, we finally got here, y'all. We made it. <laughs> I don't want to say it's the end, but it's the end of this
1: season, uh, which we've reached. In America's Next Top Model terms, we're at the end of cycle four. <laughs> oh, <laughs> snap. So hopefully we've been a lot less uh, tone deaf yeah. and uh, atrocious. Than ANTM.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I never watched that show, but like all the, you know, retrospectives I hear about it and like, oh
1: wow, the things kind of flew differently back then. I will occasionally see things pop up. And I actually was a huge Tyra Banks fan. Speaking of the Barbie movie, which we weren't, but, you know, <laughs> she was the original live action Barbie movie person and totally. I will see things pop up from the early 2000s and be like this is wildly offensive. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 100%. It's rough. <laughs> but anyways, cycle 4 doing better than shows 20 years ago from that perspective. Indeed,
2: indeed, in many ways though. I mean, give us give us 20 years and then we'll take a look back and
0: see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like oh my well, gosh you're talking about drones like that is so vintage <laughs> oh yeah
0: yeah
2: totally yeah. oh wow. wow that was like five years before the you know AI drone takeover and we all became oh, drone no. slaves
1: <laughs> wait that's when they had forests and they were being so ungrateful about seeing them so much Oh, this is getting dark <laughs> <laughs> when they made warehouses
0: illegal that was <laughs>
1: It was
0: a sad day. I mean, this season overall, we went pretty wide, even though we made maybe not as many episodes as we have in the past. But we were really methodical this season. Um, We traveled a lot. We went to festivals in person because we could. (laughs) We could. We held interviews with people, great conversations Thoughtful conversations. I mean, I have to say, like, this season talking to more people and actually seeing them in, for- in person was just so nice. You know, like, as dance festivals, we try to go to them in person, meet up with our fellow colleagues, and spend time with them, actually see them face to face, and experience these films in person in a theater. Like, you do not get that when you're at home on a computer screen. The sound is different. The mood of the environment is different. And the fact that you have someone to talk to right afterwards really helps just enlighten and feel like it was all worth it. It was worth buying that plane ticket, that train ticket, spending hours on the road just to get there.
1: It felt more rewarding to also reach new listeners for the show. Like, when Clara and I were at Dance Camera West at the, gosh, the end of January, <laughs> we hosted a filmmaker luncheon. And at the beginning, I asked, all right, who's heard of Frameform? And, like, two hands went up. And that could have been a really awkward moment. Like, oh, uh, uh, what? But instead, I was like, great, that means we've gained all of these new listeners. <laughs> Because, you know, it's different than just posting online and trying to reach new people or sharing or getting to the same audience consistently. It felt really good to actually, like you said, get there out in person and interface with real live humans. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the screenings, like I'm someone that really values comedy and just being able to sit in a theater and share a laugh. Or have the applause at the end of a film. It there's nothing like that at home. So definitely agree with your point there.
2: Absolutely. Um. Yeah. On that last bit, I actually wanted to give a shout out to Talia Levin, who was one of those very enthusiastic too. And <laughs> you know, really, I mean, honestly, has been you know a part of the show literally from the beginning. I think she was our first interview. Yeah. So it was a wonderful. That's f- true. Full circle moment there.
1: Oh. I love that. Yeah. And then Samantha <laughs> Shea, I mean, we interviewed her for the show, and we uh, we featured Gabby Krista's workshop. So basically, you could listen along to her workshop through the podcast if you couldn't go to the festival. Um, but yeah, having those in-person connections, and you know, it feels great to highlight anybody on the show and share about their work, mm-hmm. but... There's nothing like that, that gratitude and that mutuality shared person to person just on a chemical level. It's just different. And sitting in a theater with mother melancholy, screening. And I remember Claire, we were like, we were sitting in a section with a lot of high schoolers oh, yeah. and just the reactions. They're like, that dancer's so beautiful. That looks so cool. Is she oh, naked? Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> People crying. All the reactions if, yeah. were great.
2: <laughs> it was, yeah, it was really, really wonderful. And also, I mean, I, guess, I suppose it. This is, is sort of a more personal validation, self-actualization sort of thing. But <laughs> to hear that other, you know, those who do listen to the podcast do value the work that we do, and you know, put that trust in us to lead events like this under their own umbrella. So Kelly had the idea. I mean, I initially reached out to Kelly to see, oh, hey, you know, maybe we can partner on some interviews. But then she reached out back saying, maybe you can host this meetup that we're doing so the fact that Sri you know with her 20 years of experience was trusting us to do that under her umbrella was I mean in, I mean I felt incredibly you know honored on behalf of the the show as well as Scully again you know our you know super fan Scully again has been with us from the very beginning trusting us to lead the Q&A's after movies by movers as well um, for an event that again has you know been going on for a long time so it's really wonderful to you know see the real world ripples that this show has had and sort of the you know the friends we're making along the way
1: <laughs> totally it's
0: it's so amazing we are so i have to say we're in an age right now that audio archival is so available Mm-hmm and people want to listen you know you don't have to go to a library and go through an archive to find this stuff we're online and we're going to these events and here you go if you can't make it listen to this conversation listen to this discussion it's here for you I mean that I, I have to say like we are living in an age that We're so lucky to have these resources available for anybody to access Mm -hmm. and share that. Hey, if you couldn't make it, you get to learn about what we talked about, what you missed. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool. It's so cool to think about that, reflecting back, going to those places. And we have this piece of archive to leave behind For those who want to listen.
2: Yeah. And as someone who's been spending a whole lot of time in archives (laughs) as of late, and particularly like doing research on old events, just it can be hard to see the dimensionality of those events when all you're relying on are, you know, paper programs and folders and even online programs just, you know, hidden in tabs. Um, And also, it's just reminded me of just how fragile a lot of these archives are especially honestly the online ones especially in wake of the hbo max situation and sort of the you know the disappearance of of work really at no um with no notice and i mean it's something i've been thinking a lot about lately as well as far as you know what happens when there is like a sort of changeover what happens when there is you know some kind of mass decision that that causes that a lot gets lost. I mean, it's almost like having like a a second backup to a hard drive, having an audio record of what's happening is further backup of this event, but it also adds such a dimension. It adds a human dimension that, you know, really adds a beautiful color to what it was.
0: All these conversations we had this season were so valuable. Uh, My first conversation I had with Bridget Murnane on Bella was, just so, such a cool way to start I thought like went going into the season I loved her documentary learning about who Bella was and what she gave to her community learning about the whole dance scene out west that's something mm-hmm. that is definitely left out of east coast dance teaching it's not just New York guys it's not just New York right Seriously, rewrite the history books. Can you please add Bella Lewinsky in? Listening to what she, her personal relationship with her and everything that was involved in it and how much care was put into it. I, I mean, no no one's going to get these kind of interviews elsewhere. I mean, there's not enough dance filmmaker interviews out there for people to get access to I mean we have everybody Mm -hmm. else every director every film director in the world uh, maybe some people who work in production for Broadway but we need to elevate these people who are not as much not as known You know, we have to give them a platform.
1: It's a consistent issue with screen dance or dance film is that you take out the film part and dance actually has a ton of representation and history and rich resources and everything. And if you take out the dance part, film and cinema have a ton of representation and shows and video essays and all these things. But to be specific to dance film or screen dance, Even though it's not a new art form, it is still lacking in that uh, prolific nature when it comes to behind the scenes and resources and all of that. And the good thing is, I I think even compared to when we started the show, there's a lot more out there. And I do credit COVID (laughs) to some of that because organizations and individuals that maybe were already really established and not interested in using media, uh, felt obligated to, or invited to, and those that were up and coming, like, just starting their careers, I'm sure it's, it's like, you know, the three of us millennials, we grew up with the early phase of the early stages of the internet, and it has shaped how we think, and it's shaped how we planned our career trajectories. All of us work in media, and with the internet in various ways, and, I just think that as awful as a lot of parts of COVID were, it was uh, a great catalyst for this hybrid field to move forward.
2: Even though, I, I think I chuckled with David Roussev when I interviewed him in that we were kind of, in some ways, you know, he hauling at the idea that people were thinking like, oh, this is a new form and like completely reinventing the wheel when those of us who have been in this field you know, for, I guess, I guess we're on the younger side. uh, So maybe only one decade as opposed to many, many, many decades of, of others. But the constant in all that was we're always trying to get this taken seriously as, as a practice, as a form. Like it's not just, you know, a film that you're making and then you're throwing dance in like, you know, just, you have to think about the thing holistically. And so Even though while there was that initial frustration of, yeah, this has been around, finally these are things that are being taken seriously, Mm -hmm. and finally there are initiatives established to make it, you know, easier to access. With that being said, I do see a lot, um, at least particularly in academia where I'm looking for research (laughs) – there still doesn't seem to be much of a comprehensive education system as far as you know introducing like, filmic ideas into dance programs or collaborations with, with film departments rather than the occasional one-off. And I would hope that, you know the, these past few years, we would have seen more momentum in that area or more you know distance covered in that area. I mean, there's still that educational gap, and especially now, like, I'm don't, not seeing like, quite as many workshops as there were. It's it's a very, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, it's a good ramble. It's, it's a true ramble. I still remember being in film studies because uh, the school I went to, they didn't have a dance program. I wasn't planning to do dance post-secondary, so I found my way into film studies, and I was also teaching dance and studying outside of school hours um, on my dance practice, and I remember sitting in film studies and we were learning about camera movement and editing and how it's just a sense and then the importance of sound design and, you know, speaking without words and how do you do all of this in with movement. And I was like, I feel like I get this as a dancer, as someone with that experience and that sensibility. This is not extremely abstract to me. And I remember my professors like really, tr- you know, And I'm not saying they were wrong to, but they were treating it, like, sensitively. And then when it came to, uh, we did a whole course on silent cinema that I loved. And then we did, like, one class on Hollywood and musicals. And it was always a dreaded class in each course. People were like, oh, singing in the rain's the best one. That's pretty much all you need to know. And, oh, I don't want to teach this, but here we go. And just realizing, like, these two are so compatible and you all you had I mean not to not to age myself but to age myself people were still releasing like videos on Facebook at this time and YouTube was like a huge boom so and like Vimeo was like very artsy and new and this was probably around when Hannah was doing screen dance collective you know and like it was just an interesting time where it, it got, Things have improved, but it was still like, okay, we're over here in film studies and we're trying to think like dancers and choreographers. And then you had dancers that were trying to break into film and into video and not just looking at the basics of how to produce it, you know? So I think things have definitely improved, but it's almost like, okay, how long is it going to take for (laughs) these, like, post-secondary educations to really... Uh, catch up with that in a way. And I also think while we're talking about cross-departmental collaboration, um, and this was something I mentioned at the symposium like a year ago, I was like, we need to be collaborating with the business school because a lot of times there's a challenge on how to make this a sustainable art practice or a sustainable business or a lifestyle. And I mean, meanwhile, there are other people, in the business school that maybe don't have the artistic or creative ideas but are like we just want to have good systems and figure out how to create something reliable and functional and you know they might seem like worlds apart but we could definitely learn from each other the only program that
2: I can really think of that Jen you really that you really fits that to a T is probably that NYU MFA MBA program but even then like unless you are willing to sell your liver and arms and legs to <laughs> afford that, it's probably not going to go there. I also actually, I also want to pull up a quote that I think I've referenced this season from Kara Hagen who said there's no such thing as selling out in screen dance. And, you know, you, it's always important to advocate for yourself and advocate for your practice. It's also important to hear, you know, the other side and like what elements might alienate others as well. Now, that's not to say that you necessarily have to follow the capital I industry take as far as like the way your, the direction your practice goes, but it might also be be valuable information as to how you can expand it to include others in. Something that I have noticed at least over the last year, and sorry, I'm just I'll, I'm mostly calling references to episodes we've had this season because <laughs> they're just like so like right at the top of mind. But in t- terms of ghostly labor. I believe I mentioned that that was one of the first times that I've seen like a true screen dance, like a true unequivocal, you know, screen dance mode of documentary creation, actually have legs at documentary-specific film festivals that originally like usually don't program dance. Right. And the fact that something like that can, you know, I don't necessarily want to say hold up because that implies that it's you know others don't, but to be seen as you know, a a legitimate contender and a legitimate form of storytelling in the documentary medium is a positive trend in the right direction. There's also another documentary out that's now also seeing play at major film festivals, which I don't know, have either of you seen
1: Telephone? No, I thought you were going to say Transparent Siobhan Davies. And I was like, it's amazing,
2: right? I love that. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Transparent's amazing as well. It was my favorite film of uh, the last San Francisco dance film festival. Siobhan Davies is, you know, all hail. But Telephone is a film, it's a very screen dance film that uh, outlines audio description for dance film and, you know, how to incorporate an artistic bent toward audio description. And again, it's very, like, non-dictatorial. A lot of it is actually, like, Zoom, you know, dancers and, you know, even just the intricacies of doing audio description of that. But again, it's another very screen dance documentary that is being accepted at major international, you know, Academy award qualifying film festivals. And to me that trends in the positive as far as the, the capital lie of it goes.
1: I think part of that might be that those two, and I haven't seen telephone though. I really want to know um, (laughs) the two you mentioned really treat screen dance as a mode of filmmaking rather than the subject of it. And a lot of the documentaries we get at dance film festivals are about dance because, duh, it makes sense. That's your audience. You know, you've got the dance B-roll or, you know, the, it just makes sense. But Ghostly Labor, I'll speak to the one I've seen. Ghostly Labor, number one, if you haven't heard that interview, please go listen to it because it's excellent. Um <laughs> Mm -hmm. Vanessa and John are are fantastic and just the level of research and depth and authenticity in that project, you feel it when you watch it, but it's, you just get a whole other level of respect for them and reverence for it when you hear it from them. Um, But ghostly labor, it's, it's dealing with subject matter that not the dance isn't real life. Dance is real life, but it deals with something that might otherwise have nothing to do with dance yet it is integrated with dance and expressed through dance and music in such a beautiful way. And the production value is amazing. So I think that's another, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about dance people trying to break into film. It's like when you have that great of a sound mix, I'm sure that some people are just like, wait a minute, people need to hear this film, even if they're not interested in seeing dance. And once they do see it, it's like, oh, this is amazing. And it deals with serious issues. And the dancing's awesome.
0: I would love to see more dance synodocs approached in that way because of the versatility that it can, that it holds. I applaud both Vanessa and John for creating such a work and almost kind of creating a framework in a way for other people to navigate how to make a true dance synodoc. And I haven't... Seeing that balance as often as demonstrated here, uh, we had a film at ADF by Maggie Bailey who did a phenomenal job that we planned to interview for next season and talk about her film and the true balance of what dance and a story about dance it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I just want to see more of that balance going on. I think that's a great exercise to think about when making a dance in a doc. How do we tie the two together where we're learning but also feeling at the same time?
2: Yeah that rigor needs to be there and oftentimes is there and in the way that it's told like you absolutely know that no one is BSing you in this because what you really, what you feel from emanating from that screen is telling you everything you need to know.
1: I think a big part of it is true collaboration and actually being able to edit in a rhythmic way, actually, you know, planning your shots. So it's not a collage of talking heads and it takes time. It takes time. It takes coordination, but it's well worth it when it's done right. And I, yeah, Sim- similar sentiment. I hope that we see more of it.
2: Well, so, so speaking of things that we wish filmmakers would do more or less of, I think it's pretty consistent that people like revisiting certain locations and just some locations are just not going to die.
1: And I'm not going to give away the one that we're planning on talking about next season, but. I am very excited for that conversation because it's not a location that is any of our favorites. Whenever I see a film set in this kind of environment, I'm always, like, ready for the camera to be moving less or for it to have more of a live performance sensibility than, like, a truly dance cinematic sensibility. But, you know, we've got to accept reality. And if we're going to continue... And I, you know, similar to the warehouse conversation we had, it makes sense to be in this location for various reasons. So accepting that reality, how can we enhance things the most? How can we make the most of those circumstances? So, yeah, every season we come up with more locations that we're going to talk about. And this one that I'm not going to give away yet, but I'm very excited I'm curious when we're gonna run out like
0: there's just so many it's so funny to uncover all the tropes and themes and reoccurring places that people love to dance in and I'm just like it's that chain reaction you know like one starts and then whoosh there it goes there's the next popular thing you know that style is back in style again and There might be another resurgence of those kinds of locations. Who knows? Warehouses back in Vogue. I don't think they're ever going to go away, though. I don't think warehouses are ever going to go. But,
1: you know, for some of these other ones, we'll see. We'll see. I think one that we see the least, but also one that our conversation, I was like, I kind of love this grouping the best, is our desert episode but the desert is not very friendly for production, which is probably why we don't see it as much.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes really, really long time to get to. I I think the location gets distracting when it's clear that the location is essentially the focus and the dance is presented as dressing for that location. So for instance, there was a film that was a, I think yeah two films actually that were award winners at San Francisco Dance Film Festival this year which are you know, spectacular films and I only noticed until I was you know, creating the you know, acceptance videos for these that both of them were in abandoned warehouses and that was literally something that I didn't take even register until I was doing doing the video for it that's refreshing that's,
1: yeah that's <laughs> yeah. refreshing
0: to not even like W- watch a video and then immediately think like going down that checklist what are they doing effectively what's not working uh does this feel like this was a last minute decision to even shoot here or does it even feel like a warehouse and the fact that you've been watching these and those things don't register in your head like that's a great <laughs> That's a great sign of, like, a successful piece of work right there. Like, when you don't have to think about all the things that your film brain goes through whenever you're watching a movie on a regular basis, you know, that's a hit.
2: Yeah, I, I was taking notes, and um, others hopefully should take notes as well.
0: <laughs> One episode I really enjoyed talking about um, this season was with you Claire the color episode where we really got to dive into mood and tone and what color was emphasizing in the films that we were talking about like I feel like that's a very normal thing to do when you're we're talking about like mise-en-scène or cinematography in most film classes but you never really think about it that much in dance and it was really great mm. just to explore that and dissect that kind of theme this season
2: well it was also great dissecting that with someone who does color correction essentially for a living (laughs) so this was like essentially a free master class for me but yeah I agree that you know when it comes to color it again that's one of the sort of lost children of um, dance films in a way Um, the other is sound in a big 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 way but yeah there are a lot of you know color choices which might be good in theory but don't necessarily work well on all screens not just your small editing monitor suite but uh, yeah but getting it as someone who again you know there's the capital I industry knowledge but someone who also is very well versed in you know the use of color to, to create a mood to you'll know, create a story that was something for me at least was just a treat just learn, learning from the master
1: I was so sad to miss that recording, but I did like listen it through it because all, in case you don't know, listeners, all three of us listen to all the episodes and we kind of collectively edit through our note taking and then like one person will actually do the cutting and fading and layering and actually mixing the episode. But just listening to that episode, I was like, oh, I have such FOMO, but also this is so good. (laughs) And we didn't plan it this way, but I think that doing color and light in the same season was a really good call because they are so related and so interconnected. And in a way like color, there was the technical, but also the poetic, Mm -hmm. you know, esoteric conversation about what does it mean? What's the impact? But in order to get that result and convey that you have to have some technical knowledge And same Mm -hmm. with light. And, you know, I would say light is even more of a basic fundamental thing that you have to get right. And I was really impressed with how many examples we were able to come up with. Like, especially, I remember Mm -hmm. for light, we probably had like 20 or 25 films. And then we're like, okay, we got to reel it in. Mm -hmm. Which ones are we going to actually deep dive on? But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm glad that I'm only realizing now, like, we did those two conversations this season and they were a great pairing, a great double bill, if you will.
2: Absolutely. And both are great metaphors for, you know, training and dance as well because you do work. At least I mean, talking from the perspective of someone trained in western classical forms, like, you know, you can't you do all the work to give yourself that the kind of facility for artistic expression and, you know, spend hours on those details to make it be the most accurate and the most full it can possibly be, but then when it comes becomes entirely about the technical or when it just becomes a technical show, then it's it's dead right in a way, but it is good to build that build that base whatever whatever means you get there, whatever means you get to that base, just so you have those tools that you can use
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I love light. <laughs> Just all the things that it can
1: do, you know, on, (laughs) off, silhouette. (laughs) I think it's a good time to shout out our episode with Lolly as well, because that really took us on techniques that aren't technology driven, but mental techniques, physical, breathing techniques, and thought patterns that we can get into in order to liberate our dance practice or connect with our viewing practice and really just be more present. So yeah, that was a, I, yeah, I kind of the way I think about it is like our Lolly episode and our Gabri episode in different ways were almost like audio workshops that you could take, which isn't something we hadn't really done on the show before. And at first it was like, how do we do this? format do we do some like background music or do we do like a boom de doom doom to like separate the interview like how oh, do we do yeah, this? that was
0: such a technical thing to think about and really like be careful about cuz i remember when we were going through that edit and at the very end i hear our music and i go i don't think this is appropriate we're going to have to like you know be calm cuz you know at, when you're at a yoga practice or any kind of meditation you're at this piece like you don't want to hear like some kind of come come someone coming in with some bongos and drumming as if all of a sudden this became like a west african
1: floor (laughs) floor i'm like do we need ocean do we need ocean waves at the (laughs) end like what are we doing here
2: (laughs) though there is sort of like the minimalist approach where you have the you know Einstein on the beach of you know you hear the same rhythms for so long by an hour and a half in you are in a trance right yeah. yeah that's another type but we don't have you know we don't have those instruments and we certainly don't have the hours it takes to get you to that point so Lolly Lully can do that and I mean something else I, I really appreciate especially particularly about both of those episodes is that I think sometimes it can be very easy to fall in the realm of you know Getting very, getting very vague about some of some of these concepts, and particularly when it comes to meditation, like you know, just the relaxing and just getting into, mm-hmm. just find yourself in that state. But I'm relaxed,
1: damn it. Sorry. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh god, speaking my language. But something I particularly appreciate about Lolly is, you know, the very straightforward, you know, fundamentals of you know how is how can you practically apply this to the you know, real world situations and. No, Not necessarily be just in like a kumbaya type of setting. Like, How can you get to the nitty-gritty of acknowledging the real-world nature but still be able to find peace with that?
1: And that calls more people in as well because, of course, you're going to have some that are more inclined to participate or have some experience, but then you've got those tougher cells, those people that are tougher to get on board that just really won't release within themselves or that'll be like, this is just some woo-woo crystal kind of stuff and like won't be willing to ease into the experience so I think that she has a really good technical knowledge to as you said back up and not be just vague. you know I think it works it, this stuff really works so yeah it's not easy
0: <laughs> I think we should have Lolly back again
1: yeah and do yes.
0: maybe something longer of an exercise mm-hmm maybe put it on Patreon. Yes. Yes. The the Lolly Loops.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of Patreon, this is the first year that we launched it. Um, I like how we did it over the summer because it wasn't like we were doing the show and Patreon. Like we got to kind of have a summer a little bit and focus on breaking our season into kind of mini seasons. So. Mm -hmm. you know we were like the Sopranos Um, so I really like (laughs) (laughs) I like that we did that and I think that the number of releases we had six was really good to start we each did two one of one of my uh, Patreon deliverables was the episode guide and I just it was almost emotional (laughs) going through it because I was just so proud of everything we've done like this is obviously this episode this conversation is our season four wrap up but Doing that episode guide was like an entire series wrap-up in a way. And we've had a lot of people on the show. We've covered a lot of different films, so many topics, a lot of locations. And it was just really an awesome exercise in, uh, in reflection and being like, you know, sometimes we are so busy moving forward that it's hard to even be present. And it's certainly hard to process all that we've accomplished you know the years sort of blur together so I
2: mean it's just been such a whirlwind especially the last I'd say the last two years in particular but yeah it felt like the the majority of lockdown happened and then the gates opened and it was back to full sprint so I mean just unless you really point me to a specific day in a specific like moment in time like the last few years are just a total blur so having that guide was a great way to actually like in a way, yes, yeah, center myself and say, okay, here's what we have, here's what we've done. We've done so much <laughs> over the last few years. And there's, I mean, still so much potential going forward as well. And I mean, just having all of that at a glance, too, just it always helps like, okay, here's, you know, here are the blanks that we have filmed in, but what are some blanks that are still remaining?
1: And something or someone that has made the past two years a lot lighter <laughs> as we've been sprinting is Maddie Leitner. Uh, she's been our intern, our collaborator on our, on our designs and helping with social and, you know, just being able to have someone else on the team that we can tag in. And, I mean, I told her this, but if, if you need a reference letter, Maddie, <laughs> yes. All three of us will write three different amazing perspectives on just how it is to work with you. And if you're listening to this and you're in the screen dance or dance film realm and you want someone that can edit, you know, with Photoshop, with video, copy editing, who's organized and just like such a pleasure to deal with, Maddie Leitner is your person. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see some of her portfolio on the Many, many, many dance film festivals she is currently working with right now.
1: That's such an amazing thing to see as well because I feel like I still remember the first email I got from her. She's like, hey, do you want me to do anything with dance cinema? Like I'm in school and since then she's graduated. And I was like, you know, I think that we could use your help on frame form more than dance cinema, actually. (laughs) And it's been really cool to see her like working with so many different festivals and just showing that. Like, I can only imagine the uh, professional education she's getting, too, and, like, the behind-the-scenes look. And I, I'm personally proud that she's working with a lot of West Coast festivals because I think that's yes. really cool. And I'm I'm on the East Coast now, but I am a West Coaster at heart. So, yeah, I, I think she's great, and I'm so happy that she's doing a lot of different work and really carving out a unique career path. And it it's really speaks to her initiative and her creativity,
2: yeah, she actually yeah did come out for this last San Francisco Dance Film Festival. So it was wonderful actually meeting her in person as well. Right? And just getting confirmation like, oh, there are not five of you. It's just one of you. <laughs> Hello, person from the internet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Maddie.
2: Thanks, yeah. Maddie.
0: We appreciate you. Well, <laughs> as we bring our wrap up to an end, we still have more seasons to come. So, I mean, I'm excited for, for what we got going in the bank for Season 5. And mm-hmm. it's now on y'all, the audience, to just, you know, engage, subscribe to our Patreon, and pay attention. Send us that validation. Send us that yeah, validation. Yeah, and, you know, like, Double just tap. pay attention to social media and all the podcast feeds because... Stuff will be coming up soon. It'll be like in a blink of an eye. And check your local listings. We might be coming to your
2: area. Coming to
0: a city near you.
2: Coming to a country, potentially.
0: Just (laughs) you wait. Just you wait. (laughs) Well, guys, it's always a great time talking, chatting, and just, you know, nerding out with you. Absolutely. And I just value
2: both. I mean, obviously, I value your expertise and your just, again, the initiative that both of you have taken during the show. And I also just so value the friendship as well. And I, you know, this on a personal level, this was a very difficult year for me. And I, you know, I don't want to get too into like YouTube stop story. But the fact of the matter is both of you have really, you know, done incredible work to pick me up. As the year has gone by, and I just so appreciate both of you for that.
1: The feelings mutual, Claire. Really, uh, same. I, I. One thing I missed about this season is we didn't sit down together yeah. as much, oh, and it feels really good to do it right now. And you know, I'll soon be brunching with you on the West Coast, and Hannah yes, and will. I will soon go for another meal, and it'll be great to do this in person. But there's something about. The three of us gathered mm-hmm. around the cauldron together that just feels right. And I've, I've loved growing and learning and talking with you two over the years. And excited to do it again soon. Hell yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. The new episode releases have now wrapped for the season, but your Frameform experience doesn't have to. If you haven't already, become a Patreon subscriber for just a few dollars. You'll get access to tutorials from Hannah, zines from Claire, and PDF resources from me, including a visual guide to seasons one to four, plus a new offering, Dance Cinema's 10-year anthology. This is a PDF guide to all the dance films we have screened to date, plus collaborations and projects such as those with standard vision, and of course, Frameform Podcast. Get yours by becoming a Dance Cinema site member or a Frameform Patreon subscriber. And thanks again for listening.
2: This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team, with social media support from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.